We all enjoy a good show, which is why it was a real treat to step into the life behind the stage of niche weirdo performer Thomas Ford. Thomas shares how he went from being a nerdy kid to building his performance career through the global fringe scene over many years. He covers a variety of topics, including the journey of refining his material and craft to find his audience over time, the inner journey of what can be a lonely path of putting yourself out there, and how family life keeps him grounded. Thomas explains how running a well-attended but loss-making show was a key lesson that helped him develop his entrepreneurial skills that make his career sustainable. He also marvels at how he now finds himself doing some quality adulting while still retaining his early 20s rebel punk identity. Finally, Thomas shares a rather enlightened and often overlooked key point that bigger benefits can come from strengthening your collective by investing and serving in the individuals and community that surround you. So enjoy, Thomas. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today we'll be diving into the world of performing, making weird videos and crap rave parties, and I'm sure many other things with my guest, Thomas Ford. Thomas, Hello. Welcome to the show. Yeah, g'day. How are you? Very well. And yourself? Yeah, pretty well. Yeah. 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 You're adorned with a fantastic dicky bow there. Yeah, it's a... Uh, and a fantastic pendant. Well, the, the pendant is a $2 upshot find, but the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. It sort of matches my waistcoat here. Yeah, yeah. We're bringing, like, high levels of glamour to the uh, general Beaconsfield area. It's yeah. A, and the, and, yeah, to the audio world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of the questions I always start with by asking my guest is, um, so you were originally born in Adelaide, but came to Western Australia at the age of six. Yeah. So, I think it's fair to say you spent most of your formative childhood growing up in WA, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. You remember much about Adelaide? I remember a bit, but I, and like, it's always weird when I go back there because it's, um, you know, like the first six years of my life. Yeah. I kind of like, it's very clear where the, like those memories are kind of time stamped when I go back to Adelaide. So it's like, oh, that must be a memory from when I'm four, when I'm driving around or whatever. Yeah. Um, pops up. But, uh, yeah, no, like I've definitely considered myself a, a Perth bread kind of person you know (laughs) (laughs) and what would um what are sort of the standout things for you in terms of growing up in western australia um well i mean i grew up in rockingham so uh like i had a really kind of i guess most of my childhood memories were were kind of like riding bikes around the neighborhood that kind of thing rockingham's kind of underrated for that like there's like this extensive system of underpasses that I'd kind of forgotten about before I went driving through there a few weeks ago and I was like oh yeah this was awesome because yeah. I could like uh yeah be from my house to like three suburbs over like just using like back lanes and stuff like that um but yeah I don't know like it's it's just a really relaxed place to to grow up I think like I had a lot of independence and freedom here that like I might not have had in a in a bigger city I, I guess like that my, if my parents had a kid, you know, moved to somewhere like Sydney, they might have thought it was a bit more dangerous for me to like yeah, be running around by myself, time. kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just just a nice chilled out place. Yeah. Mm. Do you consider yourself a proud West Aussie? I mean, you get to tour quite a bit, don't you? Yeah. In Europe and what have you? Yeah, I'm pretty like I, I'm. Well, I kind of like I'm not really a, like a, I guess a patriotic kind of guy, but yeah. I, I, I definitely yeah. I'm always telling people where I'm from and like what it's what it's like here because I, th- I think it's you know it's cool people are interested and no one you know like the good thing about Perth uh is that no one no one really comes here like so like uh you know like a few people do yeah a few <laughs> people do but you know like like it 
of the cities in Australia, uh, if you mention that you're from Perth, like uh, people are often like, well, where, is, where is that? And what, what is that like? And like, yeah. you know, like I've been to the East Coast, but I've never made it to Perth or whatever. And it's, mm. uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite fun in that way. And I, I like living in a city that no, no, no one really comes to. It's, it's a nice yeah. thing. And, and I don't know, I just love Western Australia as well, like the Southwest. And uh, I do a lot of regional touring here now as well. And I really like that. Um, I don't know. I just I've always had a big passion for the local creative community here, which has been a really good place to come up and as well. Uh, I don't think my career would have happened in any other city as right. well. So uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I really I really like Western Australia. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting. As several people have said, they wouldn't the, almost the remoteness and the isolation helps with mm. certain things because you wouldn't be competing and drowned out by. Yeah. So it gives you an opportunity to almost grind your craft and, and learn how to flourish in a smaller community. Yeah. Is that the same sort of thing? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, uh, I was lucky here in that, like, or lucky. Uh, like, when I started performing, nothing was happening here. And, and it was a very difficult place to uh, for bands from over east to come and tour. There wasn't much touring arts coming here, performance-wise. Um and so there's a really thriving local band scene that I was able to patch into. Mm. Uh, but it was really, really isolated. But because there, there wasn't that you know, huge amount of touring content coming from over east, I was able to play every week and build up a, build up a fan base and have yeah. this really big fish in a small pond kind of situation. Mm. And then the Fringe Festival came open and opened up kind of yeah, like this, this other world for me uh, just at the right time in my career. So... Uh, yeah, it's kind of, for me, like that combination of th- that remote community thing that we have here um, and, uh, and, and just, yeah, the, 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 the fortu- fortuitous timing of my birth, basically, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my, has made it a good situation for me here, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, obviously, performing and entertaining is a key part of what you do. Where mm. does that come from in Thomas's story? So it was role model or encouraged or you found uh, yourself? I don't know. I just like it. Yeah. I mean, like I was a really nerdy kid, like a really mathsy kind of like computery kind of kid and then just kind of got into drama and late high school kind of thing. Um, and then just went nuts on it, went, started doing community theatre all over the place and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's not something that like, your mum or dad were into or? No, not really, but they were really supportive. Mm. Yeah. I think... I was just lucky that both my folks were just really supportive of almost anything I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the fact that it was performing was kind of, yeah, neither here nor there. Mm. Um, yeah, but I don't really know. There's not really a history of performing in my family right. on either side. A couple of like banjo players who live in the Adelaide <laughs> Hills. That's about banjo players. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, it's a yeah, it's a slightly cozier version of Deliverance up there. It's nice, <laughs> cozier. So, give me a give give me a, a summary view of the or the listeners of the type of performance and the impact that you sort of focused on with your performance. I mean, you you, you describe yourself as as a weirdo. You make. Um, you're trying to make people laugh by stirring them up. Um, 
yeah it's, it's been interesting doing the research and looking at some of your stuff it's like whoa just g- give me an idea of what you're trying <laughs> what, <laughs> what you're doing what you're after <laughs> well I mean I do a, a few different types of shows so yeah. it kind of depends like I've got this fortunate situation where I have like a few different audiences that think I'm a different kind of thing oh right um but yeah, I mean, I guess with all of my stuff, it's kind of just trying to get people to have a kind of communal experience that's kind of fucked up, you know? And like, a, like <laughs> what do you mean by fucked up? <laughs> well, I, I, I guess like, you know, like when you go to like a, a messed up kind of like punk show or something like that and like something just bizarre happens or like you know it's really intense and there's blood all over you or something this is not what happens at my show by the way but like you know yeah. like when, when something when, when you've got that level of intensity in a room uh like the audience kind of bond through this kind of shared trauma <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of like the core of like i guess that's what i always wanted to do was to kind of like take that like that intensity yeah. that we get from those kind of moments and and then but then marry it to something that's like a bit less horrifying. Like, uh, so it's, it's, so you've got this, this full on experience, but you come out of it feeling elated and ecstatic by the end of it. So you've been on the real journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, when I started, like, uh, it, it was, uh, me bleeding on you and like it being a really fucked up kind of punk kind of show. Right. Uh, that's, 2002 though so yeah yeah, it was a while ago and like kind of so it's been a long a long run of doing lots of different types of shows uh to kind of find a way to make this this quite you know like admittedly quite extreme kind of performance goal uh you know like into something that uh people can can engage with uh and that like i'm finding now (coughs) um is quite broadly enjoyable for people in a way that I would never have expected. Yeah, like right. it seems to be connecting with a broader audience uh, now than it has. You sound surprised in your voice when you say that. Well, yeah, like, I mean, like, I played kind of like a... Like a I've got this set at the moment that's like kind of a greatest hits set, I guess. I haven't had any hits, but like, you know, greatest hits kind of set. And that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I played that in Bunbury on Saturday night and... Uh, you know, like it was a crowd of baby boomers and, you know, from from, from Bunbury, uh, which if you're not from Western Australia is, I guess, quite a working class kind of town, south of Perth. And, um, uh, and it just went over so well. And it was just like, they just completely got what I was doing. And you're just like, this is not an audience reaction I would have expected like 15 years ago. Like I would have, no, oh, it's not fair. Like I was quite pretentious, so like I probably would have expected it. I just wouldn't have got it. But I'm like, yeah, you know, like it's uh, uh, and and I'm finding that that kind of thing with that show more and more, where it's uh, yeah, that the stuff that uh was designed to be quite extreme. I don't know if I've just become more charismatic or more good, or just like yeah. there's just some kind of what's shifted, but uh. Yeah, it just seems to connect with people now, which is lovely. <laughs> is it the show or is it you that connects more with people? Because I, I imagine, I mean, one of the questions I had is, 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 is this sort of delivery of a shared trauma extreme time, is that what you always set out 
to do or is that something you sort of oh picked up along the way uh well i mean like i've done a few yeah i i think with the um with with my music projects definitely like Mm. uh that was you know i started out playing between punk bands and stuff at a place called the high park hotel that was kind of a, a kind of punk dive in perth for years and um uh so to play with the kind of bands that i wanted to play beside i had to be as punk as them or more punk than them mm. but uh yeah like i was effectively making gay disco music so like yeah know, like it had to be on a conceptual level rather than on a uh yeah but um i mean before that i'd been doing uh when i when i left high school i went and did a, a degree in like devised theater which is like was you know kind of a wanky uh physical theater performance art kind of yeah. make your own kind of perth festival show kind of stuff uh and then went into kind of i guess two-handed lane on woodley comedy kind of stuff like physical comedy uh so and and that was kind of a thing for a while but um and that was really soft that was real gentle stuff like, yeah uh but yeah like it just wasn't giving me the level of connection that i needed like like i i find that it if i uh if i'm on stage i need to come off feeling like yeah like like that 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 intense connection with the audience is something it's for me as well. Like, yeah. And if I don't have that level of intensity, I I can't help but feel that I've failed. Like it's right. Yeah. So there's a feeling, but behind it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah, I think, uh, when you, when I think early on, I think I was maybe a little too scary and it's kind of maybe, maybe it's more obvious where that motivation comes from now and maybe it's more about just like how do you mean well maybe i think maybe it's more obvious to people now that like that connection is the goal of the work if that makes any sense like i think uh yeah like if if you're watching a guy and you're like he's just trying to scare me then maybe the work isn't so accessible yeah whereas if you're like oh he's trying to scare me but like he just wants like all of us to love each other like, yeah. you know, like, yes. it's a, that's an easier thing to connect with, I think. Mm. So. And is there a part of the more you do it, you know, you've obviously been doing this for many years, the more you do it, the more r- refined and understood you get it. So you can be more on the money. If you know yeah, I, mean. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And just doing different types of things as well. Like, and just, um, yeah, I think like I've, I've really hammered down the, that style of performance just through trial and error yeah and then but then also like like so I do another show that's called Crap Music Rave Party that's like a clowning show essentially it's like a DJ show where I play requests from the audience but they have to be awful I kind of play the worst requests that come up um, and that show is I mean I've been doing that show for seven years now and I kind of just fell into that by accident yeah uh, started out as a fundraiser and ended up just being this thing that's kind of well, like financially sustained, you know, my otherwise <laughs> critically acclaimed but publicly ignored career. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've got this DJ show that does, you know, good money, um, which is lovely. And it's, but that that show is like a softer version of like this this other show that I yeah that I do, and that you know, the more pure form of your message. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, this and this crap, crap brave is great. It's so much fun, but it's it's for 
like a much broader audience and yeah. it's a much like like it's it's, it's, it's a much en- sillier show it's entry level into thomas yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like uh in my more cynical moments i would call it Th- thomas ford for basics and i don't mean <laughs> that like you know in like a dismissive way to my audience it's like yeah. some people don't want to go and see something that's like tied up in the history of punk and like you know like yeah. that shit they, they just they just want to go and watch P- peter andre songs and dance around and have a nice time and, and that's cool too yeah but yeah so i, I layer all kinds of clowning and all yeah. kinds of crap on that but sorry the point of me mentioning that was that uh that's a real different performance style i think that's also had an impact as well just like uh in terms of learning how to be generous with my audience and that kind of thing like because that's all you've got like if you're doing a six-hour hyperactive clowning show where you're just you know lip-syncing badly and throwing pom-poms around and eating carrots, like all you've got is like a uh, is your enthusiasm and the audience's perception of your generosity as a performer. <laughs> like <laughs> so. Uh, what do you mean by the audience's perception of your generosity? Uh, well, I mean. I mean, when I go up and, and do Crap Brave, because it is a marathon show and it is about me exhausting myself. Yeah. Uh, Until you're absolutely done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and often going past that point. Right. Like, uh, like that that show can get full on and there are definitely points in it where I, like any DJ, hate the audience for a bit. Like, because yeah. I'm just tired and grumpy and pissed off. But like, you know, you've got to maintain the audience's perception that yeah. you are giving them love and everything like that and, and offering that generosity as a, as a, as a performer. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, the thing with that show as well is I learned really quickly cause I had started doing that show as, you know, scary punk Thomas, basically, uh, that doesn't work in that show. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a concept that only works if everybody is taking social signals from me to be enthusiastic and excited about what's happening. Otherwise it's just a bunch of people resenting me playing Danny Minogue. Like it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that, that, I don't know. That's been quite educational for me. Mm. Yeah. Has there also been a, I guess a process of not just the audience meeting you, but you meeting the audience. Cause imagine you start off a career as a performer with, like oh this is the sort of things i need i want to do yeah but then some will hit some will miss this that and the other and i guess it's a process of finding the audience but remaining true to what you want to do yeah well it's interesting i kind of i feel like because i've done seven years of the edinburgh fringe and taking shows up to there like you kind of like it really does whittle away at that because you know you you're self-marketing, you're self-promoting, trying to get the people to come to your show. And if it's an unsaleable product, you're kind of just fucking stuck with it for a month. Like, yeah. it's like... <laughs> Doing it to one man and yeah. his dog. And it's like... And the thing is, you like, I've taken shows there and done them to one man and his dog and been, like, stoked on it because, like, they've been artistically satisfying or whatever. Yes. But they've either got to be super artistically satisfying or super commercially viable because, like, anything in between is just, like depressing after a month yeah. of like Scottish weather and just, Oh yes. Yeah. You know, like it's a, uh, it's a tough time. Um, but yeah, like, so I feel like, and I've, you know, I've been doing fringe festivals in lots of other places as well, but, um, 
because I've done that festival so consistently, I can kind of see how it's shaped me over time. Like it's kind of, and it got to the point where two years ago, like the first year I went, I did a show at one o'clock in the morning in a basement in a Gothic pub in Newtown, which is the wrong part of town. But like, it yep. was like, it was just a, it's just a really messed up kind of like dark late night fringe nightmare show. Uh, and it did really well. I was really surprised. Uh, but like, you know, like did really well for where it was and all that kind of stuff. Like it yeah. sold out the venue, but like, you know, like you can sell out a 20 seat theater. Like it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like then over, over taking shows back through the years, um, I mean, crap rave kind of started the year after and kind of went through as well, but then taking through these different cabaret shows there, I've just been observing like this kind of whittling away process of just stuff that wasn't connecting uh and and that wasn't i don't know like wasn't getting my offer right or something like from a marketing perspective like you know like you know because i think you know i think there's a lot of this stuff is just about context as well. Like it's yeah. like, you know, how, how do you want to encounter, do, do you want to encounter this strange Australian techno cabaret guy in a shitty pub basement? Maybe not. You don't want to do that. Do you want to see him at like a fancy little place? No, you maybe don't want to do that. But like, you want to see him in this kind of cool kind of venue where everyone thinks it's cool and nice. Yeah. Yeah. We do that. So it's just kind of like getting those offers. Right. And yeah, but, um, yeah, this year, like, uh, so I, I ended up, and that got to the point where I did last year, I did, or the last year I did it, which was not the fringe just gone, but the mm. year before I did, I ended up playing at the Gilded Balloon, which is the big fancy pants, one of the big fancy pants venues over there. It was lovely. I had a great time, had great audiences, lost $20,000, but like, it's, uh, you lost $20,000? Oh, no, it's $20,000. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't go back last year. Your voice <laughs> <laughs> But like, uh, it was great. I had a great time. Like, I mean, twenty thousand dollars less than that. Yeah, <laughs> twenty thousand dollars less. Yeah, and it was also twenty thousand dollars of having a great time doing a show that did very well. Um, you know, because you can lose money in Edinburgh and still do really well. It's because it's basically how? a showcase festival. Like, so how does that work? because <sighs> uh, fringe festivals are like. They're super late capitalism. Like, they're just like... Super late capitalism. Yeah, they're just like the worst kind of, uh, like, Liberal Party or free market bullshit, basically. Like, <laughs> Explain that. Like, Because uh, I, I really like doing fringe festivals. But, like, in terms of, like, if, if you wanted to go to, like, the Liberal Party and say, like, hey, can you design for us from scratch a way that you would like to see the arts done. They'd be like, yeah, man, we would like everyone to become entrepreneurial and we'd like them to be investing like money and things and like, you know, like taking financial risks and just generally like, like let the market decide what's good. Um, and then, and basically Edinburgh is like the mega scaled up version of that with the added bonus of it being the biggest festival in the world. So the stakes are really high because you can kind of, there are opportunities there to have which means that everyone's charging you through the nose because it's a bit like going to an events company and saying that you, you're having a wedding or something. Like, oh yes. All of a sudden, like everything's three times as expensive and you've got to pay for, you know, your PR, your marketing, 
got paid for people flowering for you because if you're doing like like i would be on stage for like four hours a day uh doing a three-hour crap rave and a one-hour cabaret show so you can't be out there flyering and do that yeah um what else pay, pay generally pay a commission to a producer <coughs> uh generally uh, accommodation i mean like because the city's so busy and it's mm, not a big city yeah i mean it's a city of three hundred thousand people outside of the festival uh which is i don't know i can't think of the parallel here maybe if like i always think about it like uh if it was like newcastle or kalgoorlie or something like it's mm. like you know it's not it's not a big city yeah uh yeah so there's nowhere to stay so yeah like your room is like grand by itself kind of thing yeah mm. yeah so it all, all these little things add up and then you're like all of a sudden paying a lot of money uh yeah and it doesn't necessarily come back to you mm. yeah because you i mean the thing is you can also have a full house but people are coming in on different ticketing offers different like different ways of coming in and stuff like that and as the artist you bear the brunt of that really like yeah um yeah yeah, and then all of a sudden you get to the end, you're like, I had a great time, and you look at like the balance, the balance, and it's not a good balance. It's not a, that's not a good time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it's not like I got to the end and you, like I, I knew throughout the process that I was losing money, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what were the key lessons out of that? Um, mostly don't try and play the game by other people's rules. Yeah, which I knew. Like, but like, uh, you, you had yet to learn the lesson. I think, I think I just thought that once I got to a certain level of established within doing fringe festivals, that things would start to work the way that they would work for like a, say a mainstream comedian or a television comedian. And I'm just never going to be that. Like, uh, I don't want to be that. Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't make sense for like, I mean, doing something like I did that year, which, you know is the go hard or go home kind of approach like is really what you'd do if you were like you know an emerging kind of will anderson who wanted to be on british panel shows or something like yeah and you know that's the kind of investment that you make because you know you're going to get a certain profile kick in the uk so uh yeah it's just real stupid basically <laughs> you know like and uh you know my, my my end goal is not to do those kind of things I, I, that that would be a i'm too vested in kind of a the idea of some kind of integrity to uh do that stuff like yeah i'm just not interested in it so yeah, yeah it's uh yeah so i don't know i don't know why why i was chasing that particular dragon for for like a really really long time as well yeah because i mean it was like losing money on that but then you'd lose money on a lot of other festivals as well uh just deluding yourself into thinking that. Hmm. Uh, Have you backed off from festivals now a bit, or just really, or ca- you, really, really cautious? Yeah. Or are you more smarter when you do enter? Yeah, I think I'm just like, yeah, just careful. Yeah, like it's a, uh, they're a good vehicle sometimes, but like I didn't do Fringe hmm. World this year. Uh, that's I mean that's a whole separate story. But like the, uh, and I'm didn't I'm doing Adelaide, but for a day, you know, like it's like. <laughs> It's kind of just being a lot fussier because they're um, they're not really. I mean, the, the, the whole fringe festival circuit is becoming more and more commercialized and, and more and more about bigger shows that mm-hmm. generate 
a size of a bigger box office share for those those festivals and then kind of become the focus of their marketing and become the focus of the audience's mm. thinking around those festivals and so that makes it harder for smaller shows like me to compete mm. so i'm better off just turning up and doing a pub or doing like a theater and uh yeah doing like crap rave uh like i've been touring that in pubs for years and years so mm. that's kind of given me the the skills to do that so it's like nah why not yeah how do, how do you go about marketing yourself? Ah, uh, depends on the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, crap rave, I just use Facebook, like, heaps of Facebook ads, and we get a bit of radio, like, interviews and stuff like that, but generally not many. Mm. Um, it's mostly just through people taking each other on Facebook, like, this is a really, this looks really dumb, let's do this. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of group bookings, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the main thing. Mm. Um, and then what with the... your other stuff? Well, the other stuff's like, it's so niche uh, mm. that I find the best way to do it is just to treat it like it's niche. So I, I do a lot of email list stuff and social media stuff. I was going to say, do you actually have almost like a fan base? Yeah, yeah. 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 Like I've got like a kind of a core of people that are really passionate about it. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, because I've discovered there's not really a lot of point in me pushing too hard with Australian media with something quite underground. Like, we we just don't have the media structure here for it. Mm. Um, so I'm just better off building my own community around what I do. Uh, yeah, so it's mostly just like... I mean, I just tour a lot. Mm. Yeah, like you've got to... If you don't maintain relationships, they kind of go away. So, like, it's like that with performance as well. Mm. You know, you, you've got to be with people. They've got, to, they've got to see you as a big part of their lives. Otherwise, well, they're just not going to keep giving you their money and attention and love. Like, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, like... Uh, yeah, you know, people only have so much mental space. And if you are not, like, constantly tapping on their head, I reckon, like, you know, hey, like, hey. I'm still a thing. I'm doing Come cool stuff. Come and see me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's just a lot of that. Yeah. And that works really well. And I'm kind of like my big project at the moment is expanding that into something across like more artists. So we're building kind mm. of a, a TV on demand kind of service at the moment called Normal Place. Um mm. tell me about that. Well, that's uh so that's kind of started out as as a venue that didn't really work, uh, and then <laughs> turned into a record label and then realised that no one buys records anymore. So like, and then we're like, oh, how do we, how do we actually engage with these artists that we want to work with? And it's like, oh, people, people like watching videos and stuff. And mm. the more we looked into it, the, like, you know, this, this kind of streaming video thing is kind of where it's at at the moment. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of a Netflix for weirdos basically. Right. So yeah, we're about to start a big fundraising campaign to kind of get this thing off the ground, but it's, uh, kind of, uh, going to be, a Netflix style streaming service that, that, that focuses around the fringe of the fringe kind of weirdos, like right. very niche kind of cult the performers. Fringe. Yeah. And so it's not going to be something that's really designed for mass market consumption, but yeah. it's, I tend to find that if you like, but it makes it more accessible. Yeah. But I think, you know, you I don't might, have to go to Edinburgh. You don't have to come to. Yeah, Perth. exactly. Yeah. And, and like, uh, if you like one weirdo, you're probably going to be open to another one. You know, like it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if you like that kind of performance and yeah. at the moment, like all of us 
weird people are building up our audiences in these kind of like little silos yeah and it's just really hard to maintain it's really hard work because you know you've got to do that constant yeah thing uh whereas i think with a platform like that you've got more of an opportunity to have people be like oh no i'm a, I'm a fan of that kind of content yeah and uh i consume that content regularly and then when things pop up it's like oh i like that i like that and, yeah you know yeah so uh yeah, that's really so rather than ah, I see. So it's rather than selling the individual people, it's more the general sort of congregation of them. Yeah, exactly. So mm. like, yeah, it's it's less like come and see Thomas Ford in a basement, and more like just come see some weird shit. Do you like weird, weird shit? shit. Yeah. <laughs> It'll make you laugh. It'll yeah, make yeah. You feel weird. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's kind of fun. That's mm. uh, yeah, it's nice nice to uh, have a project that uses that side of my skill set. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Must um it must be tough doing this. Um you must have to develop a certain amount of inner strength from I mean just even my thinking it through before um doing the podcast today and and listen to you now, you know. You must go through you know, you go through the early stages of putting stuff out and getting your reception or not reception from audience. So look, this is me, this is what I believe in in terms of a message and a performance and I'm putting my heart and soul into it and then people either love it or probably pop often in the start, not so much love it, or there's empty seats and then so you go through that journey and then all of a sudden there must be the whole business and marketability of it journey. And all of that. And all the time, it's not like a nine-to-five job where everyone's in a team. Yeah. Or can be in a team or something like that. It, it's very much, strikes me as a solo journey. Is that right? Yeah. And when I've, tr- the thing with this is it's so niche as well that like mm. when I've tried to pull people in, in the past, it hasn't generally been a good situation. To work and how. Yeah, yeah. It. And I'm getting better at that now. Uh, but... Uh, how have you dealt with that inner journey? It's very hard. Um, I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, I had, a, like, my, uh, my one of my sister's friend's kids were filming a documentary uh, for the Year 10 project, and they're like, oh, we'll interview you. And they were asking me all these kind of questions, and it was like, they're like, you have to be really honest. So I was like, well, okay. okay. But, like, you know, it's... So it's basically tell them like that often this kind of work is really humiliating like you're uh you're putting yourself out there in a really honest way and it even on the, on that level it's it's very difficult but uh just on a personal level when you're kind of just the, the inability to make a living uh at yeah. for certain points is awful uh yeah, yeah uh and especially like, um, I mean, I, I think within my genre and within, like within the Western Australian like arts scene, I'm I'm positioned really well. Like I'm 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 towards the top of like the Western Australian industry in my particular kind of sphere, and to kind of go, okay, well, I'm I'm at that kind of area of of my industry, but like through hard work, yeah, but like you know, like still not making much money yeah you kind of like that does get to you after a while you yeah. know like uh 
it's yeah because it, life's not always performing you're like sometimes you're yeah, on yeah. holiday or you want to do this well, you want to do that and it's like oh I'm going to pay for it and if it was just me like I think it'd be fine but I, you know, I've got a wife and a 13 year old son and you kind of like at a certain point you're just like oh, god it would just be nice to like have basic like security like uh which, you know, like, I'm bitching and moaning. A lot of my friends do, like, a lot worse than I do. But, yes. like, it's... Uh, and I do draw a bit of a wage from what I do. Like, enough, like, a livable thing. But it's, like, it's not crazy money that we're <clears> talking about. <throat> um, and we really only get by in a, in a positive way because my wife's a registered nurse, you know. It's like... <laughs> yeah, which is kind of ridiculous when you're out touring effectively every second weekend at least. You kind of... Yeah. It's, it's a thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then th- there's been moments through doing some of these tours that have been really just challenging because you, you're putting work out there that people actually hate. Yeah. Like, I took an early version of the show to Adelaide Fringe in 2006. Um, and two years before... Uh, well, I, so Adelaide Fringe used to be every two years as well. So like, so the festival before, two years ago, I'd taken my light two-man Lando and Woodley comedy thing. I had an amazing time. Just the best time. Thought it was so easy. Everything was sweet. And then took this like weirder, darker thing two years later. Adelaide, like full body rejected that show. Full body? Yeah. <laughs> they, they vomited you. They hated it. The reviews were horrible and people were horrible and like, it was horrible. Um, and you're just kind of stuck there doing this season. I mean, I think now, like, I would probably have the good sense to pull it, you know? Like, you'd, you'd probably just be like, well, I could stay here for the next three weeks or I could just, like... Cut my losses and clear it Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. But uh, you don't think that way when you're... When you, I can't even remember how old I was, probably 24, and, and, you know, just hungry. You're just like, well, I've got this opportunity. I've got to be able to turn it around. Um, and that's, you know, that's happened quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah it's yeah I mean yeah it's just difficult and depressing when mm. those things happen and often they're t- that, that kind of is tied up in money and you know losing losing last, large amounts of it mm. yeah yeah yay so how'd you dig yourself out of those darker moments ah uh, it's well like after the, the last particularly difficult bout, like antidepressants and therapy, but like, yeah, like, uh, um, generally like, I mean, I'm like, I'm in the lovely position of having like a, like a, a family who are really supportive and, and my wife and my son that just give me this balance basically. Uh, it's not like perfect balance or anything, but at least I can kind of, get out of the performer bubble and mm. live a different aspect of life. Um, I see a lot of my performer friends not having that. Right. You know, down to like things like dating within the industry and stuff like that. Right. And then you never really escape. Yeah, you're, you're always of, in it. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, just sounds horrible to me. But like, you know, like if I come home from an awful festival, then I'm just, I'm not there anymore. And it's one of the nice things about being in Perth as well. I mean, like, any tour that I go to, like, you come home and you, you do feel the remoteness of this city. Yeah. And sometimes that can be, like, awful. Sometimes it can feel like like it's just dead quiet and just weird. 
Uh, and sometimes you come back and you're just like, thank fuck. <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not there. Not going to see any of those people unless by choice. You know, yeah. like it's like a real, like it's like a little protected little sphere. It's mm. nice. I mean, that some of them make it over for Fringe World now in February, but like, you know, like essentially like year round, like you're pretty safe here. You know, like, which is nice. You can go and like fail somewhere else and then come back home. That's fine. It's like yeah. it never happened. <laughs> like it never happened. <laughs> Except for the debt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a whole list of learnings. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I'm sure you work on the show and you figure out what you're going to do next and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, not often that I come home and the negative effects are super lingering. Mm. Like they'll be, they'll be around for a bit, but it's not, they, they don't generally. Mm turn into a full-blown depressive episode except yes. sometimes <laughs> i take it your wife knew you were doing this when you got together and so she uh knows what you're about yeah i mean we <laughs> we're kind of gross in that we got together in high school yeah. uh so gross about that well it's a bit gross <laughs> it's a bit gross it was super normal in rockingham but then you, you know you move into the city and like <laughs> everyone's like oh what and we got married at 21 so it was just like oh culture shock you guys are you guys aren't doing this at all. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. But it's been great. It's been really good. But, uh, you know, I think when we got together and through most of the first few years, it looked like I was going down a more actory kind of physical comedy kind of uh, path. Uh, yeah. And when, weirdly enough, when we had my son, it kind of like became a thing of like, I was doing that and my music stuff. And I noticed that, I was never going to be able to build a career doing that in Perth, except for like, you know, even if you're a prof- if you're a really good actor in Perth, you might get like two big jobs a year if you're like, yeah, right. So it's like, so I was like, well, I'm never going to be able to do that, but I can maybe do this other thing. Um, but that was slightly terrifying for her, I think, because mm. that other thing was real scary, real weird, and nobody liked it at the time. So uh, that was a bit of a journey together of her her and I realizing, you know, like figuring out how to make that work and hmm. uh, me finally making some stuff that she liked. <laughs> Does, she, <laughs> Does she like your stuff? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. But uh, I think early on, like uh, none of my, none of my friends or weirdly my, fa- my, my family did. None of my friends or my wife or like, you know, like people that I was hanging out with uh, hmm. liked my stuff because a lot of it was about social awkwardness and, you know, like confrontation and that kind of punk rock kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, like, if I kind of see their point, like if you are seeing somebody that you're connected to behave in a, a situation like that, it's going to create fairly extreme feelings for you of anxiety as an audience member. So like, yes, with yeah. an extra layer of being a friend. Yeah. Oh, plus people would like start fights with me and shit like that back in the day. So like, it's like, yeah, it just wasn't a good situation to be around uh, to the point that, uh, like, it was kind of legendary when the around the bakery and outrage kind of crew that, like, like maybe my wife was somebody I had made up. Like, <laughs> but she was, like, super supportive through all this stuff. It's just mm. that it wasn't her thing. And, um, yeah, it kind of... And I think she just kind of thought it was a phase that I would grow out of in that sense. Like, and I would go back to being an actor, but... It's just, uh, it's, 
it's no life being an actor in a in a small city. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but yeah, she likes it now, and I'm, I'm especially I did a, a show. Well, it's coming out this year. It's a spy thriller called Chase, and she loves that. And that's um, I mean, that's right up her alley. She's very into film stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And now we work on projects together, and she <coughs> she um she's gotten into making like horror prop kind of sculptures and stuff. Mm. Like, so she does this kind of like bloodied hands and just weird dead bodies hanging off nails and stuff. Basically for a haunted house that we do every Halloween, but we ended up turning that into the fringe venue that we ran last year. Uh, so I had all my like messed up performance stuff and she had all her messed up artwork stuff. And now it's, it's kind of come to a point where we've grown to this place where we're both equally fucked up people. <laughs> I love the phrase. <laughs> Tell me about um, oh, the, develop, the development of the, the arts performance scene as you see it in Western Australia because as you said earlier on it was quite quiet and now we have quite a booming yeah. fringe world. But. It's interesting. Um, I think we had like because I, I mean I cross over into a few different worlds of, mm. of performance stuff. So, I mean, the music scene is not good at the moment, uh, which is a weird thing to say in the sense that Tame Impala, who are from here, you know, headlining Coachella this year. So in one sense, they're very good. That it, it's, going, it's going well on paper, but mm. Mm, they were eminent from an earlier time <coughs> in the Western Australian music scene, really. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we had, we had, before the mining boom, I guess, we had this really close-knit, community here across all art forms i guess mm. no one would come and see anything but everybody within that scene was very supportive uh it was a really nice place to make work and collaborate uh and that's carried on but just in the music scene it's just kind of fizzled a little bit because a combination of venues shutting down and that happened as a result of the down yeah, the downturn, but also the downturn in the music industry. Like, yeah. uh, there's, there's, you know, 2002 or three people were flying over from over east to come and try and get the next Eskimo Joe or whatever. Mm. I mean, that hasn't happened since maybe end of fashion, which is maybe what the mid 2000s or something, mm. or maybe Tame Impala, you know, that kind of thing. It's like that music industry interest isn't happening anymore, and so the scene is a bit. Yeah, scattered and weird. Uh, whereas the performance scene, on the other hand, has gone from being like, well, the theatre and comedy scene has, has gone from being very insular and very, um, like we make work for Perth, we'll do a season at the Blue Room and that's it with the show. So like every like every Blue Room show now seems to be designed to tour. Like it's yeah. just a no-brainer for people now. Uh, and yeah, people are a lot more global in their, their look outlook so yeah so that's nice mm. um and it is the case where like 2012 it was pretty much me and maybe john robertson who's a perth comedian at the edinburgh fringe from perth uh i'm brendan burns who no one knows here but he's very popular in the uk but you know mm. like not many perth artists at all uh at that festival and then the last time i was there and the last few times it's been like oh, wow, so many, like, mm. uh, and just, like, in this kind of quiet way, like, doing really well at the festival as well. Like, yeah. you know, like, 
Um, my DJ show, you got Tim Watts, like who like is basically like a performance god in Edinburgh. Like when he brings his puppeting shows, he does a show called Alvin Sputnik: The Adventures of the Deep Sleep Sea Explorer, mm. uh, and he has a com- collective here called The Last Great Hunt. Uh, but anytime he takes a show to Edinburgh, like it's just gush city. Like people yeah, it blows love up. that dude, and like goes nuts. He's in the big theaters. He's doing like, and it's funny how that does like you get, he's got good street cred at home but it's like I don't think people realise how popular that boy is um, overseas overseas <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and, and yeah like uh, Shane Adams Axel's doing uh, Canadian festivals and there's like just famous Sharon's over the place there's just all these different acts that are just doing heaps and then there's all the like kind of I call them like the straight white male comedians who I don't really then like we all know each other but they're not Really, yeah. we're not really in the same scene uh, not invited to the comedy club kind of circuit so yeah. like but they're all over there doing stuff now as well and it's like yeah. that's really exciting um, and we're all very supportive of each other in that kind of like you know we're all overseas trying to make the best of it kind of mm. like clump of things so it's that is lovely um, yeah I mean it's the local festival has gone from being really great for Perth to being maybe not that great for Perth. Um, the fringe world. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's kind of jumped the shark a bit over the last couple of years, partially because it was... De- I think it's a festival that's designed for a mining boom. Yeah. Like I, in what way? It's a very expensive festival for a start. Uh, yeah. Both in terms of execution, like at the back end, but also for punters, like it's you know, $25, $30 a ticket, which around the world is like not the standard for ticketing at all for a fringe for yeah fringe. yeah like uh yeah you'd be lucky to get like i would say about 10 11 pounds would be the, the standard in the uk which might i mean now with the exchange rate might be something like that but like it's uh yeah. you know not but equatably yeah yeah it's it, it's it's a lot of money for people um and so i feel like that audience is contracting and the and after a lot of the schmozzle that happened last year with people getting paid and not paid not paid and just some of the curatorial decisions and just different things that have happened with that festival like it it's gone from being like everyone loves that festival and everyone wants to be here to like like this year like there's nobody here and it's real weird <laughs> really yeah like there's only a couple of my mates around town this time <clears throat> uh, and they're doing very low risk seasons you know like right yeah because it's become about really big shows it's become about these big circus events and last foray kind of things mm. uh, which are lovely but they're not uh, it doesn't make it a good place for emerging or mid-career artists to um, mm. you put push work basically yeah uh, yeah and plus it has the effect on Perth of kind of ghettoizing our performing culture into one month as fringe festivals tend to do. Yes, I was going to say that because, so, you know, you see these fringe worlds and well, I mean, they're really big and exciting mm. and this, that and the other, but, you know, what'd you do for the rest of you? Yeah. Besides going to a few others. Yeah. yeah obviously play down in Bunbury. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it kind of drives me nuts, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of always not liked that about fringe festivals, that mm. they do that to cities. like, um, And they do that to performers in cities as well. Like, there's so many performers in Perth that don't really perform outside of the Fringe Festival, uh, especially in the burlesque and uh, kind of cabaret scenes where there's not a lot of opportunity. So, mm. I mean, I've been trying to get, like, other events happening for those scenes over the last year or so because 
that's been kind of cranking my shank. But um, <laughs> the yeah, the reality is that Perth audiences have been trained into going out in February for Fringe. Uh, yeah, and so if, if if during that period everybody's being trained to go and see big shows, it does a massive disservice to our arts community because, like, mm. yeah, we then they just don't. There's no time of year when we like we put put on shows and those shows are the focus. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, having said that, like, it's really healthy here in Perth at the moment with performance. Mm. Like. I see great shows here fairly regularly, like from local performers. It's just whether those are getting the kind of numbers that you would kind of hope is another question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's, I think Perth has always had a reputation for being the kind of city where people stay at home and watch TV or go to the beach and that kind of thing. And that changed for a while over the mining boom because people were just they just had too much money to stay at home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just in my pocket. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, like we've gone a bit back to that now, uh, which is a bit unfortunate. But like, mm. yeah, what do you see as the future? I don't know. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of unrest at the moment with the Perth art scene of things being the way they are. Yeah. Because I think the people that are kind of I'm not super old, I'm 36, but like I'm old enough to like have been around before the mining boom and kind of remember what it was like. Yeah. And I can see it going back to that and it's like, no! Uh, I think it's kind of a lot of people kind of, which is great because I've seen it in other cities where, where mm. this has happened, where, where people realise this situation is happening and they come together a bit and kind of, I guess the scene strengthens that support happens again yeah. people start to pull in audiences in that kind of unified kind of way and and pe- but yeah i think it, an artist and and arts organizations start to think about the collective picture rather than just acting out of self-interest mm. which is fine during a boom but yeah we've got to be more strategic at the moment so um yeah i see a bit of that happening which is really nice mm. um i think i mean we're just going to, we, we are going to keep seeing, I think it's become so normalized now for Western Australian artists to tour that we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, because that's still growing, Like uh, it's gone from being like just the very, very top artists with tour to being like a bit more to being like now, like random shitty open white comics are going over to Edinburgh just to do a month of like spots, you know, like it's yeah. like, it's becoming really normalized uh, and that's great because mm. if we're not going to ha- if it, if we can't fix the year-round culture here then like that at least gives the opportunity for us to develop those artists yeah to yeah. go out to other places yeah so hopefully and hopefully that's yeah I'm hoping that there's a bit more funding support and stuff like that around that kind of thing as well because like yeah that, because that is high risk uh, for those artists and yeah it's just unfortunate to watch people rack up enormous credit card bills um just getting better <laughs> yeah yeah but uh i don't know it's good uh, comedy i mean the, the, the straight white male stand-up comedy scene at the moment is off the charts really good uh that goes through ebbs and flows like mm. but uh that's we've got some really good rooms at the moment comedy lounge has opened in the city and that's ridiculously nice 
uh, I'll never book me because I'm too weird. But like, uh, but yeah, but, but just having something like that yeah. is amazing. Life Resorts opened at the Shoe in the um, in Yagan Square, and Lazy Susan's is doing great stuff, and there's a lot of suburban rooms. Mm. Um, so that's really healthy, which is good because like I think it's easy to take stand up comedy for granted, but like there's real shit for a while there here. So yeah. like, <laughs> you know, we had a good three three years or so of just like it being real shit here, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, but that's thriving. So, yeah, like, I don't know. It's hard to tell where, like, the, the overall picture's going to go. Yeah. Um, and you play, you, you, I understand you're now playing more of a role in where it goes by, a bit of coaching and mentoring of others. Yeah, I mean, that kind of seems to have happened quite organically. Yeah. Like, but, uh... It's interesting, because as I've listened to many podcast guests, many people seem to get to a point where you know they work the focus on their own skills and it takes them to a point mm. and they almost have this selfless and selfish urge to share what they've learned and be of service back to others so a you can help others to flourish which is, provides a certain amount of meaning but also by that teaching it helps you to even refine your own skills even further in craft yeah totally i just i mean like i mean there is a selfish element to it because like mm. if more people are successful from perth it just it's just a better situation for us like you yeah. know there is power in a union like we just yeah. like you know like like a one one guy just running around doing stuff by himself is is boring but like mm. a whole pack of us doing stuff is cool um i don't know uh, i think it's for for me it just came as a byproduct of like I, so i ran fringe venues mm. for, for years at fringe world and like uh was really involved in that and ran a, the first few years I have to be careful of because it turned into a total shit show at the end. The first few years of Noodle Palace, I, I was was like, I was kind of the driving force behind that, and then ran some suburban fringe programs and yeah, the, these weird programs and lots of different things. But um, through doing that, I've I've built a lot of relationships with artists and um, and trust, which is nice. Uh, I've just kind of yeah, and I, I think you just kind of get to a point where you're like seeing other people do things and because you're friends with them you just like it's physically painful for you to see them make these mistakes like it's yeah. you know like so it's again it kind of comes down to a selfish motivation of like oh god if i have to watch them go through this like yeah it's literally going to make me tear my hair out yeah, it's, like it's gonna help. <laughs> but uh also just like yeah i just for me i really you know i i do I'm really grateful to the Perth art scene and to Perth for giving me a career. And like, it's uh, important to me that we have something here that's like good. Uh, and especially like at the, the weirder end, like I find that, you know, like one of the things I really like about Perth is I have a lot of things to react against. It's a, it's quite a conservative town really, I think. And, mm. um, and we need more weirdos. So like, yeah. you know, so like, uh, I'm always happy to help more weirdos happen. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> what have been some of the like hidden benefits of your, of your journey and taking the path that you have? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I think because what I do is so unusual, it's given me a really good insight into like I'm a I'm a very good producer now. 
Yeah. Uh, which is something I'm always, I'm always telling other fringe acts as well. They don't, I think a lot of people in my industry don't realize the skill set that they that they have already built up. Yes. Um, and the value of it. Uh, but like, you know, like if, if you try and like, like it's one thing to get people along to a magic show, right? But yeah. like, if you can fill a room for like whatever weird crap it is that I'm doing, like you've got to like develop crazy amount of like sales and production skills to be able yeah. to like get that to happen. So like, uh, that, that's been interesting. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that kind of like entrepreneurial stuff, um, and production stuff kind of crept up on me to the point where I was like, Oh shit, I'm really good at this. Like, mm. you know, it's kind of why I'm starting this normal place thing, which really is like yeah. kind of almost in the startup world, um, more than in the arts world. Yeah. And you're like, well, actually like those skills all transfer and like, um, like, yeah, I'm just, I'm well positioned to like, you know, curate this content, but also to understand all this, this business crap that like 10 years ago, I would never have thought would even be interesting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's been real cool. Uh, yeah. And kind of, I guess that realization was boosted a lot by people asking me for advice as well yes after a certain point you go like oh lots of people are asking me for advice i must have done a thing i must know something yeah yeah i must appear to be doing this right so um yes that's been real cool um and yeah i don't know like i mean creatively it's it's nice when you can kind of see the the, the, I guess the, the footprint of what you've done in other people's mm. work sometimes that kind of right, happens yeah. um, and I mean there's a bit of an ego involved in that you do yeah. have to kind of sit there and go is he borrowing something from me? Yeah. because uh, you don't always know but you know some, sometimes someone will tell you or sometimes the performer will say something and that's lovely like that's yeah. that's ridiculously satisfying flattering. exactly right <laughs> like it's delightful um, unless they're straight up like nicking five minutes of your show yeah yeah that's different that's happened once uh but like uh, that wasn't cool but even that though you're like in hindsight you oh, must have thought it was that good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, what um what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself on the journey um i've learned well probably the weirdest one for me coming from being a punk rock asshole 15 years ago is that like I'm maybe a really principled person um uh I want to be helpful and do good things uh which is yeah just not the way I thought about the world 15 years ago <laughs> yeah it's just really nihilistic uh but like uh yeah so that so that's been interesting because you know at a certain point you're acting a certain way and you go like you're acting like somebody that likes people and what's the best for them. Yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, I think, uh, just, I mean, I, I, get, I think a lot, everybody goes through this journey, but like, like just becoming good at being an adult is like right. something I never expected because I was so uncomfortable at just being a human when I was younger. So like, but yeah, I've, I always notice it when like I deal with like my son's school, like, I don't think you ever feel more like an adult until you're like having a conversation with a teacher about something. Yeah. And, like, 
Yeah. That like, doesn't involve you getting bollocked. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or like, you know, like chastising a teacher or a principal. Yeah. Yeah, like dealing with... I mean, I had to deal with a bullying issue at my son's school last year and dealing with the school principal on that and running that meeting and you kind of kind of walked out of there and I was like, it's a weird thing to be proud of, but like, I'm really proud of how I handled myself in that situation. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and uh, I just... I don't think I would have got to... I mean, you know, in other industries, sure, you'd probably develop those skills as well, but it was just like... Like dealing with that. see me getting hit. Yeah, just dealing with that human. It was like, you know, you just kind of go like, oh, you just dealt with him like a particularly finicky, bitchy kind of drama queen artist. And you nailed it. And it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I really love it. Yeah. So that was kind of cool, you know, like, and you just, um, yeah, I don't know. Just also, but yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one is just realizing that the entrepreneurial side of myself as well that like mm. yeah and just that i mean i think just all artists generally if we have to act like entrepreneurs we should probably just acknowledge that like mm. you know that's that's a skill set that we have and that like mm. it's um and a necessary one yeah and that some of us are fucking good at it like and that that's yeah. like that's cool like it's like and that's cool too that's a good thing um to be able it, to add value to the world through what you're passionate about mm. and then be rewarded for it accordingly yeah yeah that's an awesome way to... I mean, play. it's not... Like, that's not to say, like, I validate, like... You know, like, what punk kids in the 90s would call, like, sellouts or whatever. Like, if yeah. you're, like... If you're doing trashy, shitty commercial work, you're probably a shit entrepreneur because you're letting it compromise your art, right? Yeah. But, like... If you can find the middle way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. It's just... It's a nice thing. Yeah. Awesome. What does the next three to five years look like? I think uh, it's going to be an interesting time for me because it feels really transitional. Like, so, so the crap music rave party show that I do is a young man's show. Right. And I'm 36 years old and I'll be coming into my forties and you do start to think like, you how know, can I sustain this? Yeah. <laughs> well, but like at some point, you know, your knees are going to start getting funny. Like it's like, uh, it's, and that show, like, you know, like it has, a physical impact on me as well that I'm only just starting to kind of like understand it really like so generally one of the shit things about touring from Perth is that I have to do two cities in a weekend so like Mm. I'll go over I'll leave I'll leave on a Friday morning go and do Melbourne and then I'll do Canberra and then come back or something like that yeah um that fucks me like it's like uh you know two six hour shows or five hour shows in a weekend and you're just like running around doing these marathon things uh it's huge impact so that that's something like i'm constantly saying like i have to find a way to transition my audience out of that show into something that i can actually sustain and do do, yeah yeah um but every time i do that and every time i seriously start to look at that 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 show goes up another level like yeah (laughs) um, uh which is you know nice problem to have sure uh I'll have it. I'll take it of all the problems in the world. Yeah, but, um, it's a good quality problem. Yeah. But I guess I see, uh, like the, the cabaret side of things that, well, what I call the cabaret side of things, mm. the, the musical singing multimedia techno nightmare side of things that I do is, is gaining some traction and just general awareness in a way that it hadn't, like it, it really kind of 
plummeted to the point that like I just wasn't really doing that work at all for a couple of years there mm. uh, except out of vanity really like I'd do it in festivals but no one would come you'd be like oh, yeah, whatever. but like it seems to be that I'm kind of I don't know like sometimes you just have to hang around for long enough yes yeah I think especially with you've got to be of, there and be there and be there yeah and, be there and then and you see it happen with like well you can see it happen with like classic punk bands or whatever that no one gave a shit about back in the day but yeah. they'll tour now and everyone's like yeah awesome um and that that seems to be happening with that work which is nice it's kind of finally finding its kind of audience mm. um <laughs> locally partially due to being like the last man standing of a broader punk scene that doesn't exist anymore. So like yeah. <laughs> weirdly the most unrepresentative person has become like the thing. The bust. Uh, <laughs> um, so that works growing and, and that's moving more and more online as well. Uh, Cause I've become more and more involved in the multimedia side of that. Mm. Um, and, and so that like, uh, this spy thriller musical show thing that I made a couple of years ago is going to be like a multi-part web series, triple album nightmare thing later this year that was supposed to be released. Like, like it's had so many release dates. It's like that guns and roses album that didn't come out, but like, it's like, it's just, uh, but now we're going to tie it into the launch of this streaming platform. And, um, and my work is increasingly going that way. Uh, and increasingly going in the direction of, I guess, these kind of storytelling shows where I can mm. kind of incorporate my weirdness into well, basically the two halves of what I do, which is like this real intense on stage stuff and this ridiculous amount of behind the scenes over preparation yeah. <laughs> and kind of like, you know, combine those two things. Uh, and then hopefully, hopefully normal place will take off um, as well. And, and that, you know, I would be really happy for that to become a big part of my life and just mm. be pushing you know, like, like just building an audience for the kind of work that I love and, and that like carving that cultural space. Cause I think like the, the, the existence of that cultural space is more important than my grat- ego gratification for yeah. having a, a solo career. So yeah, like if that, if, if normal place can take off, that would be delightful when it looks like it's going to, um, but lots of things and maybe even like, Maybe even actually capitalizing on this weird thing that happened two years ago where I got famous in Malaysia for a bit. Um, So I got this residency uh, that I'm only allowed to talk about in really vague terms, but basically like, because they haven't locked down a couple of elements of it and they'd like, they like to do a big announce about it, but I've got this, I've got a residency in Malaysia to develop a show for that audience who are very different from a Western audience. Uh, but yeah, I had a few viral videos go crazy up there, like get on mainstream TV and stuff a few years ago, like doing these, this very one note joke of trying to speak Malay uh, and doing these pop songs in yeah. Malay. It's very one note, but like, uh, it was really popular and I didn't know what to do with it. But like, uh, now I'm going up there and making a show. So yeah, yeah maybe, maybe mainstream Malaysian commercial success. Also, there you go. Can... Sell out in Malaysia. <laughs> Who knows? But no one can see you know that would be fine you know like you know in terms of being like like just a, like if i was gonna go like you know for broke and like and just be like nova famous in a minor market where like you know you could keep it localized that would just be a fun thing to have like imagine if you could just go be taylor swift for a bit 
Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, just for a bit. Just going to hop on a flight to KL and be Taylor Swift for, for a, bit. a bit. And then come back and just be regular. Yeah, times. yeah. Come back and like, yeah, jump on people and play techno again. Like, it's fine. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like recently, didn't... Um, this huge Chinese... Like, 20-odd people from this huge Chinese mm. show turned up... In Rockingham. In Rockingham. And I was reading it, uh, one of the rare times you'll actually ever catch me reading the West. I sort of saw <laughs> it, and I was like, what the... And it was just, poof. It's crazy. It and is. like Rockingham, of all places, like, I mean... I like, know. It's, I mean, obviously, like, I've got that kind of, like, I was born there, I hate it kind of thing. But, like, there's no tourism infrastructure down there at all. Mm. So, like, if you're the Chinese audience listening to this... Yeah. Um, there's nowhere for you to stay there. Yeah. Like, my mum's got a spare room, though, so, like... Uh, yeah, put it on Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is on Airbnb, actually. There you go. <laughs> Super. There you go, mum. There's a plug. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's weird. So what do you do to keep yourself grounded through all of this? Uh, well, I mean, like, it's hard. I mean, the family life kind of stuff keeps me pretty grounded. Hmm. Uh, if anything, sometimes slightly too grounded, because, like... I, I do all the school runs because my wife uh, works as a uh, registered nurse um, kind of doing home visits for palliative care. Yeah. So uh, her job is much more like intense, messed up, important, all those things than mine, mm. um, which is really good for like maintaining a healthy artistic ego as well because you just kind of look at that and you're like, you know, like me being bummed out about like Geelong not liking me Mm. is just not on the level of like some child dying of cancer or something like that. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, it's, so that, that, that helps. Uh, and, but yeah, like there's, there's nothing to kind of ground you quite like doing the school run at like seven o'clock in the morning, like after getting in on a flight at 3am the night before, like, yeah. it's like, yeah, like I'm not living, uh, like, the lifestyle that Avicii was before he died. Like, it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's just pretty, it's, it, it's a pretty normal existence. It's a pretty kind of FIFO existence that I live really. Mm. Uh, and I'm lucky. I, I guess I have like one of the reasons I'm moving, I've kind of moved away from fringe festivals as well is that like, it's just nicer not to be in them. So like mm. when you're in them, you, you, you're really, like it seems like if you don't have a successful season that your career life planet everything is over because like you're just within the bubble of trying to make that yeah. month work um that doesn't happen when you're doing like a weekend of shows or like like i'm doing at the moment like i'm doing a, a three month long run mm. of weekends right um you get to come home and get your brain back together and I've got mates in all these different cities, so I just hang out with people. I stay at people's houses. Like it's, it's a really chilled out, nice thing, mm. and it's not traditionally glamorous or anything. It's just it's quite DIY and uh, good. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. It's just it's just really nice. So like my ego stays jacked. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I'm pretty into myself, but like. I think it's kind of in a charming Brian Ferry way now rather than like in a, like I was a very, very pretentious 20, 22 year old, you know, like it's like, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of content rather than like, uh, desperately trying to be something. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, one of the last questions I always ask my guests, 
Um, if you could take a little nugget of information and just drop it up into the collective consciousness so we all get it, yeah. what would that be? Uh, stop being a selfish cunt. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. Like, one thing that, like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, especially, like, you know, especially like, like I, I adore Western Australia and the people in it. We're good people. We're all down to earth. We can all have a chat and laugh about something. It's fucking great. But like, uh, people here and just Australians generally and people generally like, but like we're Australians. So like, let's talk about Australians. Don't don't think outside of their bubble about the bigger ecosystem of their industry world and how everything that they do affects all that stuff. And it's like it does yourself a disservice because if your society and your industry isn't doing well, then you're not doing well because yeah. your your well being is tied to your position within the industry or the society or the school or whatever the hell. Uh, so like like don't be part of something shit. Yeah, by making it shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that being part of something good by helping to be make it. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it, <laughs> love it. If um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? So many places. So many. Um, so uh, here and there. <laughs> if if you're a casual listener, you've never encountered my stuff before. Probably the best thing to do if you're in Australia, New Zealand, and, UK, and yeah, would be to go along to a crap music rave party with your mates. Get really get drunk enough to find me funny, which I think is about four beers, and like uh, don't say that. <laughs> but you know, like just uh, that—that's a real fun, light-hearted show and really good fun. Or just come and see any of my shows; they're not scary anymore. They're a nice time, and you're strong enough to do it. I believe in you. Um, <laughs> but online, uh, you can find me at thomasford.com.au, which is t-o-m-a-s-f-o-r-d.com.au, uh, uh, and that's got links to all my social media. I give. Great Instagram as Thomas Ford official post stupid stuff every day. Uh, but yeah, like find me on those. Look me up on YouTube, Thomas Ford. You'll find a bevy of just really dumb stuff. Yeah. Like when, with the online stuff, it just seems to be that like, I mean, the internet is like, it's for stupid shit. Right. Uh, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. yeah. It is. but like, yeah. What was it? Porn and cut videos. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I started out trying to make like, yeah, like certain, like, you know, types of things for the internet. And then, like, it's just like, it's just more fun to make stupid shit. So, like, yeah, you'll find lots of stupid shit from me on the internet. Uh, Thomas Ford Official on Instagram or, uh, yeah, just look me up on Facebook as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Merci beaucoup. It's been, this has been delightful. Indeed. It's, uh, it's been a fantastic insight into the world and life of, uh, of an artist. Yeah. Well. And, uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting <laughs> the listening to, um, many of the skills and experiences and things that you've developed as a result of and, and the experiences that you've been through as well that's, that's been quite interesting oh awesome because it's um, you know I come from a, a business background and this that and the other but they're very relatable so yeah that's no, fantastic so thank you very much for your time oh thanks for having me delightful thanks Cheers. for listening listeners <laughs>